This episode is brought to you by the Copywriter Underground, the place to connect with hundreds of smart copywriters who share ideas and strategies to help you master marketing, mindset, and copywriting in your business. Learn more at thecopywriterunderground.com. What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes, and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Rob and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast. You're invited to join the club for episode 194 as we chat with copywriter and CMO in your pocket, Christina Torres, about how her business has evolved to include much more than copywriting, what she's done to juggle working a job while pursuing a side hustle, how copywriters can speak up and create change, and what she's done to figure out what comes next. Welcome, Christina. Hey, I'm so excited. Oh, this is like the <laughs> nerdiest, surreal thing that's ever happened. And I'm just like pinching myself. But I'm so excited to be with my copy uncle and my copy cousin. That's what I call Kira. You're not my copy dad. I feel like Rob is so much cooler. I'm a really cool dad, I gotta say. <laughs> I'm not cool at all, actually. Just ask my daughters. They remind me of that seriously every single day, how uncool That's I am. That's their job. Their job is to remind you of that every day. I'm glad I'm the cousin and not the mom. I feel like I can <laughs> I barely mom. too close in age. <laughs> I, can ba- <laughs> I can barely mom and parent my own children, so I'm happy to be the cousin. Um, so, Christina, we have had the pleasure of hanging out with you and working with you in the underground and then also more recently in the think tank over the last month. But we want to really start with your story and how you became a copywriter and then, you know, more recently a pocket CMO. Yeah, sure. I think I was just listening to your most recent podcast and I feel like everyone says this, but of course, copy became a copywriter by mistake. Like, I feel like that's so cliche. (laughs) (laughs) But it's kind of true, um, and not really. I became a copywriter by mistake in that I didn't know what it was, but I knew I always wanted to be, like, a madman. Like, I was, before it was cool, and before people really were like, ooh, before there was Casper, and before there was all these cool brands, I would definitely take out my Razer Motorola phone that doesn't probably age me too bad far back. Um, but I would take pictures of like all the cute and clever ads on the subway because I was just obsessed with language and comedy and just funny things. So I was always taking pictures because they would just make me giggle. And we run a lot of ads in New York City subways. So it started there, but I didn't know what copywriting was. So I was like, I knew I always wanted to be in advertising, but that's not what I did. I ended up in finance because it's what my mom did. My mom was in public relations and in investor relations. And I went to school for business management. So now I'm using my degree kind of, but I wasn't then. And I was like, where can I make a quick buck and still go to school? So I became an administrative assistant all over finance. And it kind of just like became comfortable. And that's where I got stuck. But wherever I could write something, and there's a lot of writing in that and a lot of using other executive, like I literally would have to use my executive's voice. Like they weren't writing emails. They weren't writing memos. They were just like, can you like fix this up or is this on tone? And I'd just be like, what would Susan do? And then I would just write an email. And that just was like, oh, I really love this. And so I was like, what is this call? Like what, there is a thing. What is this call? 
And so I, I kind of just looked it up and how I could get into advertising. And I'll be frank, before I found um, the Copywriter Club, like I was going on forums and stuff like that. And people weren't saying great things about working at advertising companies. So I was like, maybe this isn't it. Maybe I don't need to work at an advertising company. And so I just stayed at my day job and I kind of looked for creative spaces. I was always updating people's resumes and always getting people jobs. And so I was like, there has to be money in this, but I don't like resume writing. And so I just kept searching. And then I found TCC. Um, I don't even know how it happened. I think it was just like podcasts. I think I first found backtracking. I thought I was going to be a coach. There were a lot of weird pivots in my career life. Like I was just one of those people who were like, I want to be this. Let's figure out how to do it. And I thought I was going to be a coach and I hired this lady to be my coach. And I thought I was going to be this coach for like women of color and like single moms. It was very multifaceted. And then I was just like, this seems exhausting. Absolutely not. And then she was like, but you're really good at writing emails. Like I had a following for like a second. And I was like, oh, maybe this copy thing is a thing. And then I looked it up and I think I was looking at Marie Forleo. And then I found Laura Belgray. And then I heard Laura Belgray on the Copywriter Club. And I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. I want to curse in emails. I want to be silly. I want to be myself. And I want to help other people be themselves and sell stuff. And so I was like, well, I guess I, if Laura Belgray is on TCC, then I need to listen to every TCC episode. And I did. And then I got into the group and then I paid for the membership. And then I kind of like just asked you all a million and one questions on hot seats. And it was when I was like, Rob, how do I get into agencies? I will always think of Rob whenever I think of my copywriting story. And he's like, you don't need an agency. You can do this by yourself. And that was all the permission I needed. And so I just really strappily and probably really poorly started copywriting. Um, and my first, when I knew I was really good at it, I forget that I have this story in my back pocket. I was actually selling a bunch of furniture and I knew who I wanted to have my furniture. Like I really loved it. I was moving out of my apartment to move back in with my mom so I could save money for a house. And I was like, I need someone with like Brooklyn swag who was going to treat my, my, my furniture beautifully. And that is going to, so I said, I, basically put this ad on Craigslist talking to the person who needs this furniture, the furniture who needs that person. And I can't remember what the ad was, but someone from project runway called and was like, we'd like to look at your furniture. And I was like, that's not, this is a scam. Lo and behold, we got on a phone and some really hot production assistants came over and they bought my furniture for like 500 bucks. And I was like, that's exactly who I wanted to have this furniture. I have a chance. I have a shot. <laughs> so yeah, it started there. And then I got a GoDaddy website and I just owned it. I just told everybody that I was a copywriter, even if I didn't know what the hell it was. <laughs> so Christina, in addition to copywriter, you also call yourself a CMO in your pocket. What else do you do besides copywriting? So what I found was because I worked with a lot of, a lot of bootstrap, a lot of startup solopreneurs, copy was kind of the least of the worries. And I always found myself like, oh, what if you thought about this? And what if you consulted this? And maybe the packages for this need to be positioned this way. And so it kind of was like me offering a little bit more consulting than just the copy. And I was like, well, what if I can package this? Like, it's clear that copy on its own is not what's going to get people there. And 
I think because I was so engrossed in digital marketing, I just assumed everyone knew. Like I, I just assumed everyone followed the same gurus that everybody was listening to TCC and they knew that copy is great, but you need to really know your market. And I found that people weren't really doing that. They were kind of just slapping up together what they thought their audience needed as opposed to really asking them and just doing a lot of extra work they didn't need to be. They had brilliant ideas, but I just felt really horrible just being like, oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Just some copy, that copy will fix this. And so I was like, well, what else do you need? Like, this is what I do, project management and support and kind of just looking at the big picture and pulling all those launch details together is kind of what I do in my work for my teams in corporate. And so I was like, how can I marry the two and really support the the startups and the bootstrappers? And and that was what Pocket CMO kind of became. So the person who is in your pocket, literally helping you with the pieces of the launch. So it's not just the copy. Um, Sometimes it's product development. Sometimes it's, it's definitely always market research. It's repurposing content. It's helping people find their voice. Sometimes it's just throwing around and kicking, kicking the wheels and checking in on ideas and having someone in your corner to say, no, that is actually really awesome. Let's go down this avenue. And then keeping people on track. So if I had to put it all together, it kind of became your own like pocket launch strategist. Just the idea that launching doesn't only happen a few times a year. You're always launching something. So I just called it the pocket CMO. I don't know any, any bootstrappers or startups or even people in the growth phase who can full-on afford like an, like a CMO, like a 200,000K CMO. <laughs> so I'm in your pocket. I'm there for you to call on me and bounce some ideas around. So that's kind of how it, it came about. And it's been really exciting. Can you talk about, I know you've worked with some copywriters too with this pocket CMO model and you've helped some successful copywriters become even more successful too. Can you just give some examples of some of the wins, even if you can't share the client, but some of the wins that you've had with those clients, whether it's understanding their market in a deeper way or finding their voice, just some examples that we can learn from. And maybe we can do a little bit of what you're doing with these clients in our own businesses. Yeah. I mean, I'll shout her out. I love her. So Summer, (laughs) I work with Summer and we have made huge strides in visibility. And I think That's absolutely one of the things that I love about working with copywriters in general, because we actually really understand the market. We really understand what we're, the value we're bringing, but there's something about coming to the forefront that is, I don't know, kind of scary. And we're not sure if that's what people need or what people want. So there was a few things that she was hoping to launch that she thought would be nice to launch. And we were just like, no, we we have to do these things. So you know, making sure that she was having a way bigger social media presence, which she was worried about. You know, she's been on the podcast and she's talked about, you know, some of the struggles she's had with being visibly Muslim. And I was like, those are for the, those are for the exact reasons we need to be visible, right? Because you're probably not the only copywriter who feels this way. And people think you're a pretty big deal. Like I know me even pitching her, I pitched her in the DMs. (laughs) like in a Facebook group. She said she needed an OBM. It was like, I don't think you need an OBM the way you think you do. What if I'm starting this package? What if it looked like this? And she was like, that's exactly what I need. Someone who can do the nitty gritty because I just want to work with clients. I don't want to worry about the marketing stuff. I don't want to worry about that. I understand how it works, but it's not something I I would do for myself um, if left to my own devices. So we got her more visible. 
we launched her beta course, which kind of was like, hey, that would be so cool if we do it. And then she was like, let's do it. And then it was like, oh, no, things have come up because things in life just come up. And she was like, let's not do it. And I said, nope, that's what you hired me for. So we literally did a real bootstrap launch, like, I guess, a lazy launch. But it didn't feel that lazy when you're the only one doing it. I put together the sales page. We bounced all the emails off each other, pretty much all the emails. And we just launched it. And it was in a three-week launch. Honestly, it was a three-week launch with just emails, some Facebook posts. And she has a lot of people on her side. And I think that's something we don't think about is like our partners who are in this with us and who will share and champion us. And we leverage them. And it went from like, what the heck are we doing? To a pretty, I would say, you know, without giving away the numbers, a five-figure launch. And we're in the middle of it. We're running the course. People are getting a lot of value. It's been really fun. And it's taught me a lot. I think one thing I can say to any copywriter is if you can just try it and just put yourself out there, getting paid to learn is like the most beautiful thing ever. (laughs) Um, You know that your idea is working. You know that people see value in what you're doing. You know, people, if, if you just do the work, and you can make people trust you. I mean, that's that's part of it, right? If you just do the work, people will trust that you could do it for them. They just want to know that someone is going to do it for them and someone's willing to do it for them. So I'm a huge proponent of that. And it, and it turned out great. I mean, just signed a huge person now. It's a little nerve wracking to work with like copywriters that you think are your heroes, but they're human and they are dropping the ball on a few things and they maybe are insecure about some stuff. And if you can see like, the unicorn in them that they can't see, I think that brings a lot of value. So that's definitely been working for me. Another another example is they're not a copywriter, but they are definitely a content creator and doing something huge in the yoga space. They were like averaging a very like low three-figure signups every day. It's like, people love you. Why don't you just go live? And it was just a simple suggestion like that. And then vamping up their emails. And then they had four-figure days. So sometimes it's maybe I just help people get out of their own way <laughs> and then I write their copy if I had to if I had to say that. So those are some of the wins and in short amount of time that have really been really exciting. And I'm glad I made that pivot because I don't know what I would be doing during this during this time. Yeah, those are some pretty cool clients and a big deal. How do you connect with your clients and how do you uh, attract them to the packages that you offer? I'm a huge fan of sliding into people's DMs. Email, email's cool, but I'll never know if they're going to open the email. And I don't like the anticipation. I get into my own head. So I've never really been a good cold email pitcher, even though maybe DMs are that, they're short bursts. But what I do typically is, A, it starts off with being a huge fan of them anyway. So I think people can take, can feel that enthusiasm. Like when I heard Summer's podcast, Like, I was like, yes, that's the person I want to help. That's the person I want to learn from. She's so inspiring. I see what she does in TCC, always helping people. Um, And in other groups, because we're in copyrighted groups together, that's who I want to work with. So, of course, there's some flattery. You know, listening to, I literally listened to her podcast maybe like three times because there were so many good nuggets. But she did list her problems. You know, she did say what she was thinking about doing next. Sometimes that's not always the case. Like sometimes you can't scroll someone's Instagram, but sometimes you have a, when you're such a huge fan of someone, you have a vision for them. You would fight for them to be. And so that's basically what I, what I do. I'd be like, Hey, I've seen this. 
I really love your stuff. Kind of colloquial, maybe throw in some tidbit they didn't, you know, only like their true followers would know. And then pitch them, hey, I think I can help you with these things. I think once you realize that you can solve a problem and what is the saying? You um, sell them what they want and then give them what they need. That's huge. It's not like a bait and switch. It is. Sometimes you need to be like, well, I want to be on more podcasts. Cool. I can get you on more podcasts. Um, But what you need is a content strategy, right? So I would say that's my huge advice is being a huge fan first and never, never thinking you can't give them any value and then finding where you can and just pitching it. Like you never know. You never know. I think people are waiting, honestly, for someone to say, hey, I can help you with something. Um, and if you really feel like you can solve that problem with all the knowledge you have, and maybe you don't have, I'm not saying to go out there and like <laughs> fake it so you make it, but don't let imposter syndrome get the best of you. Throw it out there and see what if people are going to grab it. And thus far, it's, it's really worked for me. And never take no for an answer. I, I, I've always followed up with people too. So that's, that's just been a huge lift for me. It's just being a huge fan of whoever I work with. And it makes, actually makes working with people so much easier. So in addition to that, in t- addition to sliding into people's DMs, which you know, you've done well and you've handled that well, and then the follow-up, which is key, what else have you done even over the last year, year and a half that's helped you grow your business and, and up-level in some ways? Um, because from an outside perspective looking in, I've seen you grow and I know you have more clients than you can handle at times. It's just a lot. You've attracted so many great clients. What else have you done along the way? I'd say along the way, getting really focused on what I don't like doing and what I do like doing. I realize maybe web copy is like not, even though I get it, I, I do. I really do. I, it's not my favorite thing to write. Um, it takes super long. Um, so knowing what I do like and what I don't like, engaging with people and being in programs like um, the Think Tank. I think most of my clients at the end of the day have come from the places that I frequent in, in the communities that I hang out in. So I don't think I intentionally ever joined something with the idea of like, that person's going to be my next client. But when you show up in those groups and you show up for yourself and you're just always wanting to over deliver, even for the people in the group, they've naturally become relationships. Like my old business coach, I just finished a mastermind with her. And this week, actually, I'm teaching copy in her group. Like I didn't intentionally do that. And I know that's probably what you should be doing, but that's also helped in clients. I wish copywriters would be more, more excited about Instagram because a lot of that has happened there, like commenting and engaging with them, sharing people's services, singing people's praises. You know, whenever you, you talk about content or like using other people for examples and just be like, hey, connecting people, that, that's really been just forging relationships. If I can even, if you want to give it an umbrella, it's really just like forging relationships and showing up in those groups and being active. Those investments have paid off for me. So maybe half of the time, I don't even think I finished the course or the mastermind because I think like many people, you can get a little course fatigue. They're long. It's been the community parts of the courses that have had the largest ROI for me. So I think not being afraid to invest in myself and invest in others 
has really, like, really, really paid off. I mean, me taking a yoga class and being excited about it, that cost me like 25 bucks. And then saying, these are all the great things I think I could do. Well, that landed me a $8,000 project, right? I mean, that's a great ROI. <laughs> and so not being afraid to, to, to do that. I also don't think I get as hung up on people, you know, being so big. And that's just because I don't know, honestly. Like, I think I come in with a little bit of like, they're <laughs> just a human. But that's been really, really helpful too. Now, when I'm in that group, not being so starstruck by the Kiras and the Robs and <laughs> the Laura Belgrades and be like, hey, like, I need help with stuff and I'd like to help you with things. So those are just, I say relationship building has been a huge ROI. I would love to say that my digital marketing is on point, but that's something I'm working on. I'm definitely the cobbler's son. And so I don't have enough time, I feel like, to do some of my digital marketing. And so there's a team coming. <laughs> Hopefully, you just hired someone. So, yeah, relationship building and investing in others um, and taking a stand, which I would say is the third one. I think it's really trending now that people are taking stands in their businesses. For me, there was no differentiation. Like, I had no choice. There's people who I want to work with, there's people who I want to help. And those people that I want to work with and help look like me, have the kind of same anxieties and hangups that I do. And they're, they're who I want to help. So, taking a stand in my business and saying like, no, these are the people I want to work with. These are the people I want to uplift. And these are the issues where I stand and I will not falter. Whether or not I attract those people has really, really been helpful. Like people have gone to my website and been like, whoa, <laughs> uh, that was a lot. And I'd love to work with you and see what that looks like. Even if they're not quite sure what I do, taking a stand has really, has also really helped. Can we dive into that just a little bit? What you mean by taking a stand and how other copywriters can use their voices in order to create change in their worlds, whatever that change they feel like they need to make is? Yeah. So when I first started copywriting, I didn't see a lot of like multicultural copywriting. And what I mean by that is I didn't see a lot of copy that infused whether it be women of color, people of color, Latinx, I didn't see a lot of copy that represented us. It all seemed very blanketed. And when I did see it, it wasn't from the solopreneurs or it wasn't from the communities whose cultures those belong to, right? So like I would look at a large corporation and they would use a lot of African-American vernacular bonics. So what you see like, yes, girl, and Eswag, and, and some of those cultural tones. And I was like, well, why are they like, oh, wait, wait, we have to get some of that power back because if they're willing to use that to market to us, then you need to be willing to use that to market to your people. And that's because, you know, we've worked in spaces where we had to code switch. We'd have to, you know, acclimate to the cultures which are in those corporations if we come from those backgrounds. Um, if you worked at an agency, you know, they were probably very, you know, predominantly white, predominantly male. So there would be some borrowed interest, but it was in the interest of selling from, you know, the big guys to our cultures. So it's like, well, why can't we take that back? Why can't there be, I didn't see a lot of copy. And that's what really excited me about Laura Belgray's writing, that it was very colloquial. And that although she wasn't a woman of color, it gave me the permission I felt 
to write the way I wanted to write and to infuse my culture and help other people to infuse their culture in their writing too. It was just something I couldn't, I just couldn't falter on. It's always been something that's been in my, in my eye and has been in my heart that I'm just like, well, this is why can't we market for us by us? I think there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I understand we want everyone to buy our stuff, but even in the world of marketing, that's just not how it works. You, you, you have someone who you should, that one reader, that one person who should be buying your stuff. And why can't that one reader or one person look and talk and go through the things that you go through? And that means your copy and your messaging would have to reflect that. And if you believe in inclusivity, then your copy and your messaging also has to. And so, yeah, it's, 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 it's been a privilege, at least for me, to say that I've never had an issue or had anyone you know, step on my toes about that. It also weeds out who are not going to work with me. I'm probably not going to have any overt racists want to work with me um, because it's very clear for who I'm, I'm doing this work for. So that weeds that out, I guess. But yeah, for me, I couldn't separate my business. Who I am as a person is my business. I am my business. And so I guess that's, that's changing a whole lot now. Yeah. And so as copywriters, business owners are taking a stand, whether it's something that they've been doing for a while or some of them are newer to that and doing it for the first time. Do you have any advice about what, how, how to approach it, what not to do? Like, don't, don't do this. Don't make this mistake that you've seen repeatedly. What to do, what not to do around sharing your voice and your message and taking a stand. I think when you take a stand with, with anything, you also have to think about your why, your what, your who, of course. And then it's like, how does this benefit the person as well, right? Taking a stand for something is great, but like, why does it matter so much to you? What does it do for the community who's coming to your page or the community who's coming to you? If those are not your cult, those if those are not your cultures, like I'll be frank, just because I'm a deemed a person of color, all of a sudden I know all the things about, and I'm not saying that people do, everyone thinks that, but all of a sudden I now have to be the expert on like what that means. Well, I actually had someone, I actually hired someone when I was doing my website and when I was writing the copy for my website to do like an equity audit or a culture audit, because a lot of the copy I write does have a lot of African-American vernacular ebonics. That's because I live in Brooklyn, New York. English is my first language. Um, I lived, I've only lived in black and brown communities, but I'm not super entrenched in, in the Latino community. It's not, I don't even speak Spanish. Um, and, and that's, to be quite frank, that's many of the millennial experiences here in, in, in America. Like if you were born here between a certain time, maybe you speak Spanish if, if your um, family did, but you know, you go to school, you're, you're around Eng- other English speaking people. It's, it becomes really quickly, not your primary language, not for everyone, but for me. And so I very much feeling as the other gravitated to um, the African-American culture here. So I was like, I wanted to make it very clear as someone who was white presenting, white passing, like if you looked at me, especially now that we're in quarantine, like I have no, like there's no melanin happening right now. So I wanted to make it clear. I didn't want to offend the, the, the people I planned on serving. And so I had someone come and say, you know, is this problematic? This is who I'm trying to serve. This is how I openly identify. And I think it's easier for me to say that because as a person who is 
a mixed race Hispanic, I had to do the work to find out who I was, right? I had to do the work to understand like why I look this way, where my, my family comes from. I was just very curious. And that's something that's always been of driving force in my life, just knowing who I am and understanding other people as a, I guess I'm, I'm an empath. Um, <laughs> but I, I, it was something I needed to do for myself and it's someone I brought in knowing that that could be rubbed the wrong way or that could be taken the wrong way or that I could possibly be appropriating someone's culture without meaning to. I wanted to make sure that the very people who I planned on serving were comfortable with my messaging, that it made sense. So I reached out to uh, Mackenzie Mack. She does equity and culture audits for copy. And I've learned a lot from her. Um, I also worked in the diversity and inclusion space and, and finance for a little bit. So it was something I was hyper aware of because of where I had worked before. But it was something I just really wanted to make sure that I wasn't driving anyone away. And I guess when you when you think that way, it's people think that you usually don't need it. But I was like, no, I just want to make sure that the people that I'm actually looking to serve feel welcomed here. And I don't want them to feel that I'm appropriating or, or taking away from their cultures or using their cultures to sell to them. I want them to feel really welcomed here and that they have a voice and that they, they have permission to to use their voices. So yeah, I hope that answers the question. That was a little deep. Yeah. I mean, we could go deeper too, I think, but we're going to run out of time if we do that. Um, can I change the subject just a little bit? And yeah. I know, I know you have worked a job while you have built your copywriting business on the side and maybe we should uh, actually treat it like the reverse. Like you've been building your copywriting business and working a job on the side. How do you balance that? And you know, how do you make that work in a day when you're also a mom and you've got all of this other stuff going on in your life? Maybe a lot of people would look at you and say, Hey, she's done this really well. So what's your secret? My secret is to get a job um, that doesn't demand too much of your time. So I actually started this copy thing I say lots of coffee, but <laughs> that definitely helps. But I actually started the coffee thing when I worked at a organization that was super high performing. They like literally sucked the life out of you. And I was just like, if I'm going to make this work, A, I still need to make ends meet. I don't think I'm confident enough to just go out into the world. I also live in New York City, like the most expensive place. I think there's just hustle that's bred into us. But I was just like, I need to A, find a job that I can give the minimum amount, but still have the maximum, <laughs> maximum salary, if that makes sense. I needed healthcare too. So I had made a leap into like a smaller firm. You know, people can take this as you will, but like find a job if you really need to. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's a lot of things that I take from my corporate setting and my corporate mindset into my work, like organization and being thorough and things of that nature. But Finding a job that you can kind of do the bare minimum for, but still have the maximum ROI. And by ROI, I mean salary. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, especially now, I'm grateful, right? Especially when everyone's home, I have a paycheck that comes to me that I have to do the very least for. Um, it's still work, but it's not a full work day. So that's kind of how I balanced it. And I just kind of told myself that I had to. This is where we're at. And with each client raising my rates exponentially, I think this time two years ago, I was probably paying, I was probably doing like $400 a project, which I quickly realized was painful. Um, no one feels motivated to do 
a 40 plus hour job for $400. But each project, I just keep raising it and keep raising it and keep raising it. So balancing it, I don't know if you want to call it balancing. They were kind of coinciding. Like I've done full on conference calls from my job. I've done full on podcast recordings from my job. There was a time I had my own podcast. So my podcast studio was the conference room after hours. I mean, I think if you find the will, you'll find the way. I remember listening to Matt Hall's podcast on here and I was just like, yeah, that guy gets it. Like when you have a family, when you have a lot of responsibilities, I mean that if you can find a way to package things and that I guess will lead into that, like that's something I'm trying to change. I'm noticing that like, especially during quarantine time, 12 hour days while raising a family, like before I was living, before quarantine, I was living a really cushy life. Like lunch came to me. I had a fridge full of Coke Zero and coconut water and Perrier. That is not the case now. I probably eat boiled eggs more than I want to because that's all I have time for now. I'm also watching my son at the same time. So that was a totally different world. So I, I'm very grateful for that corporate space and that and having that place where I can keep my mind clear and kind of balance the world. It's a lot easier than you think. I mean, you can do your biz work on your work work time. <laughs> I mean, do it. Be respectful. I'm not saying take call. Like I've never taken a call at our desk, but I've been on a hot seat at my desk. I've been on a hot seat on TCC on my desk before. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. And I think nowadays you actually could be more transparent about that. Like, I think back in the day, you couldn't, I don't know what back in the day means, like I'm so old, but I don't think you could be like transparent about all the side things now. I think now people expect that more, honestly. Like people understand that people are side hustling, people have other side passions. Sometimes they realize like that that brings a lot to the table. Like I've actually mentioned to my boss that I do copywriting and now, you know, if I need to, I mean, that's, there's a pro and con because if something needs to be written, it's given to me, but I think people want to know more now that you have other passions and that you can maybe bring some of that into their space. You may be surprised how honest you can be about juggling the two, but I would just tread lightly about doing your work there. You still need to get your work done at your day job. That's a given. I mean, if they've got the resources and why not? Like, why not do it? And if you can, if you feel like you are in a safe place to be honest about it, that may not be everywhere, but I found it took a lot of weight off my shoulders instead of like creeping in the shadows about what I'm doing, because that's what I would, that's kind of what I did for a while. <laughs> like, what are you doing, Christina? Why are you here? It's 8 PM. Um, so that's kind of how I balanced it. And it's just because I have to, I have a goal. I have a dream. I have bills to pay just because I needed to, I balanced it. But that, that would be my advice. Like you, it's totally doable. I just wish I didn't have to context switch. So if you could get a job doing, you know, something in real, like related or at least close enough, I think that's super helpful. I wish, you know, I would have thought about that, but then maybe it is a nice break to do like some mindless work that doesn't suck all your creativity away. But yeah, so the takeaway from that is get a job with a minimum amount of work to do, <laughs> the highest amount of pay, and then slowly slip in that you're a lot more awesome than they thought. 
and this is what you got going on. If you can trust them um, and you feel comfortable, I think it helps a lot when they're like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, there's nothing going on, so I'm writing some coffee. Yeah. Okay, Christina, I want to make sure we have time to talk about your latest, newest project. It's very exciting. And so let's dive into that and talk about what the catalyst was for this new project that you're creating, launching over the next few weeks. Yeah. And also, and also what is it? Also, what is it? Tell us all about it. So, yeah, I had already at the start of the pandemic and kind of, you know, everything that's going on in the news now with George Floyd and, you know, everyone just either allyship or not so much allyship coming to the forefront with people of color, but especially black people. And I had already started kind of like unwinding from social media. I was like, I need a break. It's very distracting. I was having conversations, you know, trying to be in every place and everywhere, having these conversations just about like the treatment of POCs and just a lot of things coming out to the forefront, um, people of color. So I had caught, I don't know if you know, or this audience know, Rachel Rogers. She's um, one of the few pretty big, and there's a lot, but I think people who are visibly like business coaches. And she had called out recently something that happened in like the B school group. And it was, it was a gut reaction to a conversation that clearly no one was comfortable having in there. And they closed the comments and she just was like, well, you know, if you benefit from, you know, taking people, uh, especially black women, but people of color's money, and you need to open up your spaces to talk about these things. And she went on this rant and I was just like, I couldn't believe it because the very thing I had detracted myself from doing within my own business, which was appropriating people's cultures, not having a safe space for people I worked with, but I was doing it on a very small scale. I was doing it one-on-one. I'm working with people and doing that one-on-one. And when she had mentioned that, I was like, wow. I mean, Copy Cure had just launched. And I was just like, well if that's what's going on there, then shoot. I mean, I know I have have enough knowledge. I have enough under my belt, probably paid more than thousands, thousands of dollars, a good amount for my own copy education. And what's stopping me from creating that course um, and scaling that knowledge, literally giving people like the Netflix password to my copy brain. And it started off as a joke. I was actually, I put, posted something about like using Cosmo to write copy. And then when I saw her like using their headlines, using just how they frame some of their editorial stuff, just looking at, you can learn a lot from your market, just from like a $4 magazine. And I made a post about it and someone was like, that would be an awesome course. I totally forgot about magazines doing that. And then Rachel had made that post on Instagram stories and just like calling out that whole situation POC is not having a space or a community that was safe to learn those things. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I don't think I've seen too many copy courses for people who look like the clients I'm serving. Um, so why can't I why can't I create that? And why can't I bring in the people who I serve or who I've actually invested in to help me with some of my things come on and be guest experts and, and do that for them? So I was like, I'm gonna launch my own anti-copy course, copy course. And that's literally have come together over the past few weeks. Um, and people have been like all of them on DMs. I remember when I first said it, they were like, Hey, I will definitely lend some of my guest expertness. That's a word 
what do you need? What do you need? Here's this. This was my launch. This is this. And I was just like, okay, well, this is happening. And then I was like, everyone hold the phone here. I'm doing this thing. What do I do? (laughs) How do I do it? Is it feasible? This is my timeline. And God bless Kira and the think tank for being like, yeah, it's totally possible. Here are the things. Let's map it out. Let's do it. And so, yeah, that was the catalyst. It came out of sometimes good things come out of rage. Some things, sometimes good things come out of uncomfortable. And I'm super excited to get it out. And the beta is is probably going to launch, hoping to launch the week of independence. So it's going to be like copy independence day. <laughs> and yeah, we're still in the phase of like figure out exactly what people need. Um, I have some ideas. And so the wait list for that will be open in the next couple of days, but I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, and I'm super scared. <laughs> but I think what's feeling is that there's the bigger purpose, right? That's probably the beauty that's come out of this, all this mess is that, you know, there's a lot more black and brown brilliance um, that's coming to the forefront and we're all leaning on each other and we're not scared to be siloed anymore. And we're realizing that, you know, we do need communities where we do feel safe and do feel heard. And why can't we create those communities? Like, why are we waiting for other people to create those communities for us? We can, we can do that. We have the tools. It's there. We spent all this money investing and learning those things. Now we just need to do it for each other and invite other people in too. So they can also see what awesome things we have and what inclusive, what inclusivity and allyship looks like too. So I'm really excited about it. So let's, um, let's just tell, I know you're working through kind of what the content is exactly, but who is it for and what is the promise to as it is now, knowing that you're still working through market research and figuring that out? Yeah. So the anti-copy chorus, copy chorus is, it's not something that's going to take like 12 weeks or six months. You're going to come to this chorus and you're just going to launch your ish already. (laughs) Um, So the idea is in four weeks, whatever you're working on, let's say it's web copy. Let's say it's mostly either going to be web copy or launch copy. I'm still trying to nail that down. But what I'm bringing to the table is that, you know, we're going to, work through headlines and taglines. There's going to be some get-ish done days where as a workshop, we're going to work through, you can get some copy critiquing. One of the modules is going to be about equity copy. I mean, it's, 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 it's a no-brainer for me. I want someone to come in and teach people how to make their copy more equitable and more inclusive because it's not just for POC, it's definitely for allies, but there's they're the group I'm targeting. So basically, yeah, either write your whole launch or write your whole web copy, letting the waitlist kind of decide what they need in four weeks. And so it's just going to be about nailing your voice. There's going to be a module about nailing your voice. There's going to be a module about finding VOC data and the things that already exist and the things that you're doing, repurposing, you know, some of the sticky copy or the things that you have in your arsenal already, whether it's discovery calls, sales calls, maybe it's your Instagram, just the idea that like your copy and your voice already exists. It's there. And this is how I do it. This is how copywriters do it. And now you can do it too. Um, and you can do it serving the people you want. So it's going to be maybe junior copywriters, definitely going to be service providers. I mean, anyone who just wants to nail copy and not drop thousands of dollars on a copy course and go through 17,000 modules to figure it out. Um, <laughs> Cause that's not how I learn. And it, it'll be more of like community based. So we can run ideas by each other. We can look at each other's copy you're not learning in a silo. And you're also, you feel really comfortable 
sharing your type of copy. That's something that's always given me pause. I've always kind of like worked in a silo or I haven't really got my copy critiqued because I get things like, oh, well, what if like, you know, corporate investors are not really going to resonate with this copy? And I'm like, well, it's not for them. <laughs> so being, being feel like you're in a safe space to get your, your copy critiqued and not like where I'd like, oh man, this is going to make this dude uncomfortable. Or are they going to get it? Are they going to understand my audience? Well, if you have a group of people who work with the same people as you, who have the same experiences as you, then you feel a lot safer to share that type of copy. So that's what it, that's what it looks like right now. And if I'm intrigued by the description, if I'm thinking, hey, yeah, this sounds good to me, where would I go to get more information about this? Instagram right now would probably be the best bet because it's going to live in my bio. Um, there's going to be a wait list. You're going to pop on my wait list. You get a couple of emails. We're going to have fun in there. And then, yeah, and then I'll launch the date from there. So you can go to runandtellthat.co um, and you can sign up for the wait list. Or you can go to my Instagram which is super hard to say. We should put in the show notes. I gotta change it. It's uh, at Chris. So C H R I S T O R R I N E S A on Instagram, and it'll be in my bio. That's where it's gonna live right now. This is a such a, a lazy launch, but that's also like why I'm doing it to prove that like you don't need the the Amy Porter fields of launch to do this. A, I don't have the team to do that, but you can, you can just slide in people's DMs, can just post it on your, on your wait list. You can partner with people who are already in your community to, to funnel into those things. So it's going to be a super lazy launch, but that, that's, that's the beauty of it. And that's kind of like why I want to do it too, to show people that you can launch with what you got. And, and you can do it you can do it while you're working at a jobs in managing multiple clients and you have right like during COVID and with kids at home and laundry. You did laundry yeah. right before this. <laughs> yeah, all the reasons we say, Oh, I can't do it now. I there's too much going on and um and that's all legit, but you're doing it anyway. So I think it's it's fun to well, it'll be fun to watch how this pulls together and for people to support you. I know I'm signing up already. So I'm on the wait list or I will be on the wait list once I find the link and all that. (laughs) All right. So I know we're out of time, Christina, but thank you so much for coming in here and just sharing more about your business and your launch and your story and, you know, need to chat more on the the next episode. So thank you, Christina. Ah, thank you. Thank you for writing with my, my tangents. It's going to be an interesting podcast. You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive, available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next episode.